Good morning, Renaissance. How y'all doing? Good. Thanks for making it out on a rainy day. Uh, my name is Jessica, and I'm a volunteer here, and I'm going to be reading our scripture this morning. We have two passages. The first comes from the book of Matthew, and the second from the book of Hebrews. You can pull out your Bible if you have one, or it'll appear on the screens for you to follow along. So beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And then to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word of God. What is up, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. Uh, there's a funny story about this old preacher that was doing revivals. Uh, every year, he would go into this little old town, and at the end of the week, uh, he would call up people for prayer. And no matter what your prayer request is, he says, listen, God is able, God can do it. And every single year, there was this man that would come down, limping down the aisle, and he would say, preacher, doctor says, this might be it. Can you pray for me? Year after year after year after year, he prayed for the same man, and every single year, every time, same time, same place, the man would come down the aisle and say, Preacher, the doctor says, this is it. Preacher started getting annoyed. A couple years later, he says, you know what? Come down the aisle. The guy comes down the aisle, same thing. He says, what do you want prayer for? The guy says, doctor says, this might be it. So the preacher stretched out his hand. He says, God, heal him or kill him. Now, can you imagine how scared that dude was uh, leaving a revival and somebody throws up those two options, heal him or kill him, right? Like, imagine how the guy who rode with him to the revival felt like, dude, I ain't, we ain't riding the same car together. I'm Ubering it back, bro. And that's a pretty scare, scary prayer request. Now, I've never had that scary of a prayer request prayed over my life, uh, but there's a line in the Lord's Prayer that actually does scare me. Now, if you're reading through it too fast, uh, you'll go right past it and not notice the difference uh, in what Jesus is trying to do in this uh, passage of Scripture. Um, but Jesus says this one line, and if you look at it, and if you really paid attention to it, it might scare you too. And it's this line right here. It says, your will be done. That Jesus recognizes that you and I have a will. And by a will, um, it means this, your desires, your wishes. Um, and by us praying this line, this is what it's doing. It means us handing over the power of us choosing our own actions. 
That means when you and I sit down and pray, when Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done, he's saying, I want you to hand over the power to choose your own actions to God. Now, that's scary. I don't like um, uncertainty. And if you're like me, then this would kind of scare you a little bit. As a matter of fact, most of the arguments that my wife and I get into are when we're driving, if we're going upstate or something like that, and we get out the city. Uh, she gets mad at me because I'm like honking behind people. She was like, yo, the light just turned green 0.2 seconds ago. Relax. And I'm like giving you know, older ladies scowls. I'm about to get out the car and fight somebody. And secondly, um, the thing that frustrates me more than probably anything else is I hate it when I get directions and I don't know what the next step is. So she'll say, hey, make a right. I'm like, okay, I made the right. What next? <laughs> like, am I going a mile? Am I going 10 miles? Am I going 30 miles? What is the next step? I don't like uncertainty. I don't like not knowing what the next step is. I don't like having to guess or it being in the control of someone else, even though I trust her, that she doesn't want us to get lost or to drive into the ocean somewhere. I still hate the feeling. It's a very anxious feeling to not know what the next thing is. And here's what we are praying for when we say, God, your will be done. It means this, a couple things, following God's lead without knowing where he's sending us. Waiting for God's timing without knowing when something will come. This is the one I like the least. Expecting God to provide without knowing how. And trusting God's purposes without understanding the circumstances. So if you and I are going to learn what it means to pray, this is what Jesus is calling us to do, and it's scary. And we're going to walk through how it can make sense in our lives in just a second. But it's calling us to lay down our, our will, and that's not an easy thing. Um, it doesn't give me warm and fuzzy feelings when I think about it. Like when I think about praying a lot of things, uh, I want to move on in the Lord's Prayer to God, give us this day our daily bread. And I, can, I got like 18 things that I can think of that, God, you need to get up on this player, right? <laughs> But the line, your will be done. Your will be done. I'm going to uh, give away my choice, my, my choices, my desires. And here's what Jesus is presupposing, that you and I have a will, and God also has a will. And that when you kneel down to pray, and that you and I, as we go through our days, that there will come a point, and if you want to connect to God in prayer, if you want to have a flourishing and thriving prayer life, you're going to have to say, God, I don't want my will to happen but I want your will to happen. Now, psychologists will tell you, it's something that I see now actually firsthand in my son who's about a year and a half old. He is now just discovering that he has a will, that he doesn't have to do stuff that you tell him to do. When he was like six months old, he was nice. He smiled. Now he'll slap you in the face if you don't do what he asks you to do. And he's discovering that he has a will. He doesn't have to do anything. And he'll throw a tantrum if you try to take away something from him that he desperately wants. And now his big thing is he lays on the ground. I'm like, boy, get up. You can lay there all you want to. You can lay there until 3 p.m. And nothing is going to change on, on my end. But here's the, here's the crazy thing about this. You and I might have grown out of throwing tantrums. You and I might have grown out of yelling and throwing things and crying and spinning around on the floor. But we haven't grown out of wanting our will to happen. David Timms, an author, he says it like this. At first, I learned some basic motor skills that let me control things. I discovered that I can hold and drop objects at will. Before long, I learned other skills, tantrums and defiance, that let me control people. I got my way often, 
and I've enjoyed the feeling ever since. That I got my way, and I've enjoyed that feeling more than anything else. That I was able to manipulate situations, that my will was able to happen, and that feels really, really good. And to, for us to pray, God, your will be done, is not something that's going to come naturally for us. It's not something that you're going to feel warm and, and fuzzy on the inside about praying because it's a scary, scary concept. But Jesus calls us in a different direction. So we've been in a series called The Lord's Prayer. And basically, if you're new here, let me catch you up. The Lord's Prayer is something, it's a conversation that started between Jesus and his followers. And a bunch of Jesus' followers come to him in Luke and they say, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? You obviously have a good connection to God. You obviously know what you're doing when you pray. You seem like you pray a lot. Uh, would you teach me how to pray? And Jesus says, great, I'm going to teach you what it means to pray. And for this last number of weeks, we've been going through line by line what um, it means to pray. That we were throwing away um, everything that we thought we knew about prayer, and we are allowing Jesus to form us. Now, there's three words you're going to hear from me in the next couple of months, and probably everything that we do here at Renaissance. It's three words, learn, unlearn, and relearn. Learn, unlearn, and relearn. Your journey with Jesus is about these three things. That Jesus will teach you things that you didn't know before. And a lot of us actually welcome learning new things. But here's the rub. For us to unlearn some things that we thought we knew. For us to have to have things taken out of our hands that we didn't want to be taken out of our hands. Over and over again throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament, when you see Jesus talking to crowds, for example, uh, he starts and he says, listen, you have heard it said, um, you know, an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you this. I'm telling you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And if you're going to walk with Jesus, he's going to call you to unlearn certain things. And here's something that our culture and our generation and probably every person, every human in human history has to unlearn if we're going to learn what it means to follow Jesus, that our will is not as good as God's will, that our will oftentimes has to be given up in order to get what God wants for us in our lives. Now, um, Jesus starts to pray with probably one of the most uh, profound statements about who God was. Uh, it's something that we've heard so often that it can kind of roll off us like water off a duck's back. And it's these two words, uh, our Father. Now, the reason Jesus starts a prayer like this is because if God is calling us to say, not my will, but your will be done, uh, we have to know uh, who it is that we're praying to. Right? If God is some grand uh, wizard in the sky behind a curtain, it's going to be absolutely terrifying uh, to pray your will be done because you can't trust this person. But if God is a father, and if God is a good father, then we can trust him. Uh, this past week, I went to a retreat uh, in New Jersey, and I spent uh, two days away from my wife and son. And it's funny because, like, all last week, I was like, I can't wait to get away from this little kid. Like, he is annoying me. And, like, we didn't even get to New Jersey before I was like, man, I wonder what he's doing right now. <laughs> and the highlight of my day um, was um, FaceTiming Jess and just looking at Jameson running around the house. And here's what it means if God is your father. Here's what it means if, if God is your dad. It means that God is not some genie in the sky. It means that God is more like a dude in pajama pants that misses you. He's much more like someone that notices your absence. He longs to be with you. That God notices when you're not there, that God misses you, that God loves you, that God wants the absolute best for you, so much so that there's nothing that God wouldn't do to give you the very best for your life. Now, if we lose that part, 
if we skip over that part and go to your will be done, it'd be nearly impossible to, to pray that prayer and to feel it because we won't even um, have the trust, the relational capital in the one that we would actually pray to. So first things first, Jesus gets us to um, our Father in heaven because more than anything else, um, the order of how we do this prayer um, has to be in, in, in the right way. And then before we get to um, uh, later in the, in the scripture, later we're going to get to this next week, us praying for God, give us this day our daily breads. And here's what I find in my life. You might, this, this might be true in your life. Oftentimes, um, if I go straight from God, uh, give, us our, you know, give us this day my daily bread and all of the needs that I have, that list is actually pretty long. Uh, but if I start in centering myself and saying, um, God, your will be done. Not mine, but your will be done. Now, We've been saying for the last number of weeks that the whole purpose of the Lord's Prayer is about reordering and reorbiting our lives around God because it's very easy for us to get our hearts off track. It's very for our hearts to get out of the correct orbit. And just like the moon, if the moon starts to lose its orbit around the earth, it's going to start crashing and burning into everything. And for us, the same thing is true, that our lives, our hearts have to be reorbited around God. That it's not about us. It's not, prayer is not just something where we go to uh, a concierge and get our list of things done for the day, where we're going to a father and we're centering him. And we're also praying this really scary and bold prayer saying, God, not mine, but your will be done. Now, the word, uh, you, the, the phrase that Jesus uses in scripture, basically it really um, boils down to literally us saying, let your will happen. And that means two things. Uh, the first thing that means is that you are going to do everything that God wants you to do. That's scary in and of itself. To say, God, let your will happen, it's saying, God, you have a certain will of things that you want to happen, and I'm going to do everything that you want to happen. That's the first part. Case in point, money is probably one of the easiest ways to explain it. I have, I just got paid, right? Paycheck just hit that direct deposit, praise the Lord. And I feel God is calling me to give to an organization, to a church, something like that. Now, I don't want to do that because it's turn-up time. I got my paycheck. Time to go on Amazon. Time to live it up a little bit. <laughs> now, God's will is not for you to turn up. God's will is for us to be generous with our money. And in that prayer, by you saying, God, let your will be done, it's literally, like Aswan talked about last week, it's literally taking a hard look at your bank account, those bank statements, and saying, God, let your will be done in my life. Not my will. I have desires. I have wants. I have choices that I want to make. And to pray, your will be done, means I'm not denying that I have these wishes and desires. I'm not denying them, but I'm saying, God, I'm choosing your desires and your will on my life. And that's tough. Even tougher than that, the second part of what it means to pray your will be done means, Lord, I submit patiently to all of your plans for my life. That I will submit patiently to all of your plans for my life. This is a guy named Charles de Foucault. Um, I'm positive I mispronounced his name, but we're going to keep on going. Um, he was a Jesuit priest and a monastic. He lived out in the desert, and he prayed this prayer uh, in response to... Um, uh, your will be done. This is how it goes. It says, God, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me whatever you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. For I love you, Lord, and so want to give myself to surrender myself into your hands without reserve, 
and with boundless confidence, amen. Anybody ready to pray that prayer? Got two alligator arms, like, well, maybe. Hey, it's really difficult to pray that, and this is 99% of the time, whenever I start to pray, your will be done. Uh, I usually do it in one of two ways, with resentment or resignation. Uh, resentment is basically this, uh, your will be done, but I don't like it. Anybody have done this before? Yeah, your will be done, but you know, to be honest, I, I don't like it. This is what we're thinking. God, you've made some pretty questionable decisions last time. <laughs> Last time I gave you the remote control, I don't know what you were watching, bro. But deep down inside, it shows a fear in us that we really don't trust God to lead our lives. There's this anxiety inside of us that it, something is telling us that you can't trust the decisions that God is going to make for your life. You can't trust the direction that God wants to take your life in. And what God is going to do in your life might be too painful. It might not be something that you are uh, actually in favor of. So God, your will be done. But to be honest, I don't like it. Uh, normally when I uh, face that temptation or when I feel that, uh, Matthew 7, 9 through 11 is one of those scriptures that gives me uh, a lot of hope. It says, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, Jesus is saying this, that God, your Father, is better than your earthly father, so much so. Uh, and your earthly father wouldn't even do a bait and switch like that. So how much more, how much more would God, your Father in heaven, give us good gifts? And even though we feel this temptation to, to pray, God, your will be done, but I don't like it, uh, it's us learning what it means to follow and to love and to trust that God's plans for our lives actually have good intentions. And that's probably what's at the core of it. Now, another way that we pray your will be done is with resignation. It's your will be done because I can't help it, right? Please believe if I could do something about it, I would. <laughs> but your will be done because I can't do nothing about it. Now, this is obviously not the heart that Jesus wants us to pray uh, your will be done with. But uh, for anybody in here who's a control freak like me, uh, this is the way that I often end up praying. Uh, I, I strategize all the different ways that I can get an outcome to happen. And once I can't do anything about it, I'm like, all right, God, you will be done. I tried. I tried my way for like two months. I tried to do this thing. I tried to do it this way. Didn't work. So, hey, you're up. And we pray with, with resignation. Now, much in the same way that the resentment is, uh, deep down inside, we don't trust God to actually lead uh, our, our lives. And... Most of us think that we're following God when in essence, and a lot of times, we're really following ourselves. Now, when God calls us to say, your will be done, and we don't know how God is going to bring something out, and we don't know the outcome, and we don't know anything other than the next step, basically what God is saying is, trust me, not yourself. Trust me, not yourself. And uh, we face the hard decision and the hard temptation uh, to think that if we understood what the next step was, then we would do it. Right? If I understood this next step, yeah, then I would do it. If God told me and if God explained it to me and if it made sense, then yes, I'm with it. But if that's the way we're thinking in prayer, then it's not God that we're following. It's ourselves. If God has to run everything by our desks like we are his manager, then it's not God that we are putting our faith in. And it's really not faith until you disagree with something. Us following Jesus, the rubber, until the rubber hits the road where you say, I would not take that way, 
or I disagree with this, but I'm going to do it your way anyway, that is us finally starting to live out what it looks like um, and for us to finally realize that we're not in control. Now, Jesus wants us to, con to return to a true orbit of us orbiting our lives around God and not the other way around. Not us trying to fit God into our plans, but us saying, God, before I even get to anything that I want, I'm going to first come into this recognition. I'm going to come into a position where I'm acknowledging and I'm uh, allowing your will to be done in my life as painful as it might be. Now, this is certainly not easy. Um, uh, the third way that we could pray, and this is the way that Jesus wants us to get to, and this is going to probably take me 30 to 40 years to get there. I'm nowhere near it yet. Uh, it's with anticipation. Uh, and it's saying, God, your will be done because I can't control everything. And even if I could, I don't know what's best. Your will is what I want for my life. Trust. And to be honest, someone who, as someone who struggles with uh, being anxious and stressed, I'm centering my heart around uh, trust in God that, listen, I can't figure it out all on my own. And even if and I can't control anything, I, can barely con I can't control anything. And if I could, I don't know what I'm doing. And actually, one of the biggest reasons for my anxiety, you might resonate with this, I'm always anxious about stuff because I think that I have to figure out the next step. Right? So I'm always anxious because I'm thinking I got to figure out the next step. And when I don't know the next step, when I don't know what to do next, I get anxious and I get nervous and I get stressed out. And usually that's a symptom that it's not me uh, submitting my life to God's will for my life. It's not me trusting that God is actually driving this. Um, but it's that I'm trying to direct my own life. Now, our earliest ancestors uh, had this same problem as you and I have today. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Um, it's, it's not something that is uh, easy to think about. Your will be done. Um, and all the way back to Genesis, uh, the account of Adam and Eve eating the fruit in the garden. Uh, here's what the enemy, the devil, was trying to get to. He was trying to get to us to say, listen, you can't trust God's plans and God's limitations. Genesis 2, it says the Lord commanded them, uh, you are free to eat anything in a garden, but you can't eat from that one tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Like, you can do anything you want. You can do anything you want in this entire joint, just don't go over here. Like, you can be all over, all over New York City, just don't go to Staten Island, right? <laughs> Which is easy for a lot of us. And the serpent, it says, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, yo, did God really say you can't eat any, you can't, from, you can't eat from this one tree in the garden? You're not going to die. The serpent said to the woman, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, here's what the enemy planted in their minds. Here's what, here's what the enemy planted in their minds. And here's a seed that still grows in our hearts today that God cannot be trusted to direct, to plan, and to limit your life. That God can't be trusted to direct your life. You put your will in his hands, you're crazy. That God can't be trusted in God's limitations on your life, what you can and cannot do, God can't be trusted with that. And so much of our struggle is not simply with our wills, but it's this belief that you and I can't trust God and what God wants to do in our lives. And the Bible tells us that the first war uh, that has ever been fought on this planet is a war for our hearts that says we can't trust God and we can't accept from God what he tells us to do. 
But deep down inside, we fear that if we were to give God our wills, if we were to give God our choices, that God would bury us or that they're restrictive or they're limiting. Now, check this out. Freedom is not found in not having restrictions. Freedom is found in having the right restrictions. A goldfish is free to jump out the water if it wants to. But if it, if it jumps out that water, it'll be dead in about 10, 15 seconds. Now, freedom is found in having the right restrictions. In every relationship in this planet, uh, if you want a, um, a good thriving relationship, means that it comes with boundaries and it comes with restrictions. And here's what God is getting at with us. Uh, this lie that you and I should just be able, free to do whatever we want and our wills um, should happen no matter what the cost, that is that inner toddler inside of us screaming and throwing a tantrum. But there's a better way. And Jesus shows us in his prayer that if you want to connect to God, if you want to have a thriving relationship with God, if you want to thrive in your walk with God, then you've got to get to this point where you and I are saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. Now, in a lot of faith traditions, they pray the Lord's Prayer uh, almost every single day uh, because the meat of it is so meaty that if we were to actually live and, and breathe out the realities of what Jesus is calling us to do, that every single day would center our hearts and our minds and let us know that we are not at the center of this orbit, at the center of this universe, although we would like to believe that we are. Now, in all honesty, um, accepting God's limitations and direction is not the easiest thing in the world. Um, and us praying to us to abandon ourselves in God's hands is not a, a phrase that I would think that too many of us would want to say. Um, but we're not left hopeless. Uh, there's a scripture uh, in the New Testament um, that talks about Jesus before he's about to be crucified. And I want us to take note that the one who calls us uh, to say, God, our Father, your will be done, is the one that knows that he himself is going to say that same prayer except it's going to cost him way more than it's, it's going to cost us to say it. Later in the scene called the Garden of Gethsemane, if you're new, basically um, Jesus was praying um, right after he had, uh, right before he was about to be betrayed by Judas. And as he was sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he was so full of anguish that he was sweating blood. Now scientists have debated what would cause someone so much anguish that they would sweat blood. And here's what, a, a picture of what Jesus was having to do. Now, all throughout um, Scripture, there's this principle, um, talks about it in Hebrews, that says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So basically, in order for us to be good with God, in order for me and God to be Gucci, uh, there has to be a sacrifice to pave the way, to pay for uh, the sins that I've committed. Now, in the Old Testament, there were priests who would go into this, the Holy of Holy, this one room, and they would take a lamb in, the spotless lamb, and they would slaughter it, and that would be the sacrifice for the people. And generations and generations and generations later, Jesus comes, except instead of it being a physical lamb, he is the lamb, the spotless, sin, sinless savior. And Jesus knows that he is going to take on himself what you and I deserve. You know what that is? Separation. That all sin does is separate. Sin is separation from, separates us from God, and that's all hell is. Hell is basically a separation from God. And this is what Jesus is tasting. This is a cup that Jesus is, is tasting in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is tasting separation from the Father. And he prays this prayer. God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And Jesus endured the crucifixion, as it says in, in Hebrews um, 4. It says, for we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this is what uh, Jesus, this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Jesus understands how difficult it is for you and I to pray, your will be done. Uh, I mentioned this um, before, uh, years ago, my late wife passed away from cancer, and I remember the most comforting person that I could talk to was this one dude um, who lost his wife to cancer also. And uh, I would get on the phone and, and talk and cry, and um, uh, he would just listen to me uh, as I just went on and on and on and on, talking in circles. And here's what I found so comforting about him. I knew that he understood. I knew that he felt my pain, that he wasn't offering hollow and baseless uh, advice, but he felt the depth of what I was feeling in that moment. And here's why we can go to God with boldness and confidence, it says, to approach that throne with boldness and confidence, because Jesus understands exactly what it is he's calling you to do. We do not have a high priest that's unable to empathize. He's not ashamed of you, ashamed that you are facing these temptations. He's not mad at you. He's not angry because you and I don't want to submit our wills, because he understands exactly what that feels like. And yet, and yet Jesus leads the way and says, not my will, but your will be done. And here's what he's telling us on the other side. Here's what uh, we can see through the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, that it's always worth it to follow God's will. You may not understand it. You might not uh, agree with it. You might not feel like doing it. But in order for us to commune and to connect with God, we got to be willing to say, God, your will be done, and I'm just going to trust you however it shakes out. Now, Jesus um, paid that penalty for us, and he calls us to now, in turn, say, God, your will uh, be done. Now, he's facing the, he was facing the ultimate horror, and none of us will ever have to face that will, uh, separation from God, because of Jesus. He paid the price. He got up on the cross, says, it is finished. And when it was finished, it was finished. None of our groveling or anything adds to it uh, at all. But here's what Jesus is getting at for us, for you and for me. There are things in all of our lives and I can think of about 15 in my life. There are things in all of our lives that we are holding on to right now. And like a toddler, we would not want to let that go. And if God takes it away from us, we'll go kicking and screaming. Or if we don't get exactly what we want, when we want it, we're going to throw a tantrum. And we might not lay out on the floor and roll around and start crying, but that's inside all of us. It's hilarious. My son, um, he knows how, like, he has like five words now. And one of them is called agua. He goes to a Dominican daycare, so they got him speaking Spanish. <laughs> and if he says it, he wants it now. He doesn't want it like, like, like oh, you want water? Cool. If you take two steps to go to the kitchen and in full out tantrum mode, not only does he want what he wants, he wants it now. He doesn't trust my timing. And there's never been a point where he's wanted water and we didn't give it to him. Like there's never been like, nah, you don't need water this time. And for us, it means that we, uh, that thing that we want, that we're holding on to, this thing that we're pursuing God for, this thing that we're asking God for, whatever it is in our life, things that we hold on to, things that we should let go of, a relationship, money, finances, job, whatever it is, where we're going to live, um, Jesus calls us to say, it's the nail-pierced hands of Jesus that are calling us to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. This is how we get there, Hebrews 12 and 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, 
Well, one version says, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is what Jesus is telling us. I love you. You can surrender to me. That we can put our hands, uh, we can put our hands in his hands. We can put our, our trust in him only because he's trustworthy. Let me pray for us. I want you to think about um, something in your life that you're not wanting to tell God your will be done in whatever area. It could be in business, in school, relationship, in finances, and uh, forgiving someone, or whatever. The list is very long. I want you to think about something that gives you that feeling in the pit of your stomach that you don't want to let go of, um, that causes you to feel anxiety, and that you don't want to say, God, your will be done uh, in my life because you don't trust that God is trustworthy. Think about that thing. Heavenly Father, help us to see the nail-pierced hands of Jesus loosening the grips of our control. Help us to feel the comforting rod and staff of Jesus leading us in uh, the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God, help us to know that you are not unacquainted with our anxieties and our suffering and our pain, and you can, we can come to you with the totality of who we are. We don't need to hide. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to be more pious. God, we can trust you. God, help us. Let, let the gospel remind us that you are trustworthy. Let us lean more of our weight on your life. Jesus, let me pray. Amen.